Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pediatric Speech Sister Show. My name is Melanie White Evans. I am a pediatric speech language pathologist currently practicing in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I am so excited to have you here. If this is your first time, please like, share, and subscribe. Let us know how these episodes are helping you. If you are new here and if you're wondering if this channel is for you, please come back each week and find more ways that you can support BIPOC children in clinical and education setting. If you haven't already, you can download the free poster, Five Ways to Support BIPOC Children in Clinical and Education Settings. I'll go ahead and include that link in the show notes for you. So this episode is about my why. If you've watched any of my interviews with different leaders in the field, I always ask them, what is your why? Today, I'm going to talk about mine. So I joined the field in 2014, the end of 2013, 2014, as a broadcast journalism major. When I left high school, I had a dream of being the next Oprah, and I wanted to change the world. I still have aims to change the world, and thankfully throughout my journey, I found more specific ways and measurable ways that I can change the world, right? So today, that's what I'm going to talk about. I joined the field at first, looking at dollar signs. Don't lie, you did the same thing. Of course, I wanted to help people, but I was so excited to see how much I could be walking out of a grad school program making. So I went ahead and changed my major from broadcast journalism, switched it to organizational communication, and made my minor speech-language pathology because at that time, Howard didn't have their five-year program, and they took away the Bachelor's of Arts program in speech pathology. After I joined the field, I fell in love with the coursework, and I learned more about the pressing issues in society that we had. One of them was disparities in the academic system. I can thank the year of 2016 for that especially. One thing that's always heavy on my heart is I think about Mike Brown. I think about Trayvon Martin. I think about Sandra Bland. I think about all of the other black and brown children who become adults, right? And how their communication styles or how they're overall just perceived in the academic system and in society works against them. Heartbreaking. So in 2016, I got a few opportunities that allowed me to be on the track of education. It was one of these opportunities that just came to me and it became my track. In activism, I joined the United Negro College Fund as a Walton K-12 Reform Fellow. As a Walton Fellow, I received a stipend to work in operations in a charter school in the south side of Chicago. If you are familiar with Chicago, you know that the south side of Chicago is notoriously bad, right? I'm doing this in air quote. It's notoriously bad or is dangerous or you can already just imagine that there's not a lot of resources. So I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> sign me up. That's exactly where I want to work. So although I did enjoy working at a Title I school and I got to work alongside the admin team and 
actually for a while or for a quick second admired the admired the founder of the school. They are very prominent in the Chicago area. And I'm just like, wow, how noble to start a charter school in the south side of Chicago. This is what the students need. Well, the people who I worked alongside with, we had a lot of people who were part of Teach for America. There was also myself, who was an education reform fellow. So basically everybody, almost everybody who was working in that setting was passionate about the kids. Well, it was to my surprise, the attitude that the founder of the school had on top of the other things in the neighborhood that I'll talk about in this episode. So to her, it was all about the Benjamins. She actually didn't care about the students she was serving. The free and reduced lunch programs weren't enough for me. It was great that they had them. But here's what I mean. For example, headcount day. If you don't know, the amount of funding that you get from the government depends on attendance in the schools. From a business perspective, I understand why you want to have every single student that is enrolled in that school there on attendance day when it really matters, right? So that way you can get all the funding you need. However, what bothered me was this founder had teachers drive to students' homes if they called in sick that day, if the parents couldn't take them to school for whatever reason. She had the teachers go and pick up those students if they were sick and all. You better bring that butt to the school and get your head counted so we can get funding. Now, that's controversial. You might be listening to this and say, well, how else are they going to receive the funding for an under-resourced school or an under-resourced area? Other people like myself, especially at that time, is like, do you not care about these kids' well-being? Why are you dragging them out of the house when they might be going through a lot deeper things than getting their head counted to go to school? So that ties back to the ways that we can support Black and brown children. I don't think it's necessarily picking them up and dragging them out of the house. This is, this is metaphorically, of course, but dragging them out of the house to go to school to get their head counted, to get the resources. But maybe it's, instead of doing that one day, why don't you constantly check on them and constantly ask them if they need resources? Why can't we be more creative with the resources that we get or in using the donation to provide the resources they need to show up to school? Maybe the mom's car broke down. Maybe if it's a pattern, what's going on in the home? Why can't that be an overall culture of things that we're concerned of rather only on Tenants Day? But that's a soapbox for another day. So another thing that there are just overall personal issues, little things I had with this with this founder. Another thing is I remember there is a child who fell up the stairs and the founder was walking down the stairs and just looked at them and kept going. And so that helped me really just see where the heart was. The heart wasn't in the students. The heart was in the money. Point blank, period. We're in America. I get it, but it's not okay. That same year, I did get to join other students in Howard University's Alternative Spring Break program. I hopped on a bus to New Orleans from Washington, D.C. to serve the Education Reform and Prison Industrial Complex Initiative. So somehow, some way, I just keep aligning on these educational paths and I keep finding out more ways that, or necessarily more ways, not necessarily more solutions that we can close the academic achievement gap, 
But I keep learning the cultural humility piece. I keep learning about the problem and the fact that the problem exists in the first place. I keep being put in situations and neighborhoods that I get to actually experience what they go through on a day-to-day basis. Specifically, how many multicultural students from underserved communities were doomed in the United States due to inequitable lack of resources, family support, and the fact that cities didn't even pay attention to these communities or make it accessible to access quality care? I think about my life at that charter school in the south side of Chicago. It was actually one of the nicer charter schools in Chicago, in my opinion. Now, I lived in Halstead Avenue, right across from the University of Illinois, Chicago campus. This area, if you are familiar with Chicago at all, or maybe you're not, the area is as many would imagine Chicago to be, or the quote-unquote nicer part of Chicago to be. So you get a nice view of the skyline. I remember I would take runs some mornings. I didn't fear for my safety. It was a bonus because I was right up the street from a Cold Stone Creamery. So that was amazing for me. But I immediately saw the stark difference between my neighborhood by UIC and the Title I school that I got to go to work to and from every single day. Each morning, I had the same routine. Myself and my roommate, we would leave the dorm. We would walk to the bus stop. We would take the bus stop to the train station. We would take the green line to the red line. First of all, the green line to the red line, there's some stuff. And then you take the red line and you go all the way down to the hundreds, which the hundred, if you know Chicago, you know that the hundreds is notorious for where crime happens. A lot of crime happens. You know that that is the underserved community. It's not underserved just statistically. You get to see it with your own eyes when you go. So I'm sitting on the train waiting to get to the red line in If you're familiar with metro train systems, you get to actually see the outside. And you're not just always underground. You get to actually see the outside. And so you would see the stark difference from Halstead Avenue to getting to Roseland. That's where my school was, was in Roseland. And you just saw the difference in the quality of the infrastructure decline, decline, decline after each stop. So... We get off of the red line to get on a bus, to go to another bus, to go to a stop where we can get off and walk to the school. Now, that is, that's five modes of transportation. We're speech pathologists, so we, we talk about transportation a lot. Right? I took my feet to the bus stop. I took the bus to the train to another train, to another bus, which by the way, I had to walk to that bus, and then to another bus, and then I had to walk. So really that's six. So as I'm walking to the school, I'm seeing how the city allows the grass to grow as high as my thighs can reach. And I am five foot eight. That grass was so high and it was the summertime in Chicago. I was more worried about getting bit by poisonous bugs than what they were telling me to be careful for and being in the south side of Chicago. So I'm thinking about, first of all, this is problematic because not only are these areas underserved, it's dang near impossible. It's costly and it's energetically taxing 
to even go to a nicer part of the city or a city where they can have access to more resources. And then people wonder why people can't leave their neighborhood. Again, side note, let's get back to my why. Conversation for another episode. Of course, I'm doing this walk and I have time to think about these things because mind you, my trip is like an hour, 15 minutes, hour and a half, both ways. So I have time to really think about these things. Ubers were over $100. So again, very hard to get to the quote unquote nicer parts of Chicago, right? I'm thinking, why aren't the buildings being taken care of? Why is the city allowing the grass to grow this high? Why is the public transportation so exhausting that students can't get outside of their own neighborhood easily or out of the own reality of going through adverse childhood experiences? Why can't they access these things? So as I'm being even more programmed to think about ways, how being disadvantaged plays a part, how the government plays a part in being disadvantaged or even how the mindset of many Americans and business owners contribute to people being disadvantaged. There is an inattention to the quote-unquote at-risk children, but yet they are being perceived as criminals as young as preschool age. So my dreams of changing the world became less of a broad statement and more specific. I thought to myself, how can I ignore the fire in my spirit as a speech pathologist? I didn't want to go into the classroom and be an educator by the traditional sense. That just wasn't my fabric. Even though as a kid growing up, I did want to be a teacher. I wanted to stay on my career path as a speech pathologist. So I decided, let's use my influence as a speech pathologist to target these disparities in the U.S. K-12 system. Thankfully, speech pathology has pillars geared around advocacy and cultural linguistic progress and diversity. Why not use those skills for the diverse students that I knew I wanted to serve? So my second year as a Howard University graduate student, I teamed up with my then professor, now mentor, Dr. Valencia Perry, and we planned to present at MBASLA, the National Black Association of Speech, Language, and Hearing. We plan to present at that convention that year. We actually started with how behavior in communication is affected in the schools. So we talked about cultural mismatches between how behavior is perceived in Black kids. And we were going to have a whole research article on FBA and behavioral plans and making them more culturally competent. All still very important, but the vision grew. COVID-19 happened, as everyone experienced, so we couldn't present our research or original proposal at Mbazla that year. So we decided, let's actually pitch this to the ASHA leader. As we're meeting online during the pandemic, our ideas just blossomed into more. We just couldn't focus on behavior. We wanted to talk about the overall problem. This article was reviewed by our now president, Vicki Dilrillians, and she felt the article was so important that it became two published articles, one titled Expanding Our Views on Behavior in Black Children, a Call to Action, and Shifting the Paradigm from Disciplining Black Students to Cultural Responsiveness. If you haven't checked out the articles yet, I have included them in the show notes in 
please check them out. February 2021 is when they were finally launched, and we are still not talking about it. So these articles include research and practical ways that speech pathologists can address exclusionary discipline and cultural mismatches in the schools. This includes practicing cultural humility, employing culturally responsive approaches to service delivery, advocating for positive behavioral support, and trying restorative practices. I am converting our research into a series so that podcast lovers, YouTube lovers, wherever you are watching can learn from this. If you can't get access to these articles, you can still get a lot of information from them. So if you are interested in this series, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, wherever you're listening so that way you don't miss out. In the meantime, don't forget to click the link in the show notes, Five Ways to Support Black and Brown Children in Clinical and Education Settings. This could definitely get you on your way of closing the academic achievement gap from a speech pathology perspective. I am so excited that you came to today's episode. That is my why, and I will see you all next week. Bye.